So the last first birthday party that I went to was for my niece, Margot, who's pretty much my favorite person on the face of the earth. And she got this great red tricycle that was like the signature gift of the day. It was almost sort of like a tricycle version of, you know, those great um, American flyer wagons, you know, gleaming and red and sleek and metallic and just absolutely perfect and stunning. And when people opened, it was oohs and ahs and all kinds of things. And then she spent about a minute hopping on and off and trying to work the pedals, and the pedals didn't work or she wasn't coordinated enough to do it. And so she spent the rest of the party hopping in and out of the box in which the tricycle came in. (laughs) Which is to say this morning that I'm going to try and keep my eyes on the prize. I want to focus today on what we're doing here at Wellsprings. More than just the packaging. Really about the substance of what we're called here to do as a spiritual community, especially as a new one. The prize has always been this. It has always been about building a spiritual, religious community with a strong identity and purpose that is healthy. And because we are healthy, only then are we able to grow together as a people. Now, I'm not giving you a status report this morning. That's more about what we're doing on February the 5th after service. One of the people who's really guided us, the folks who've been around for a couple of years, here is a guy named Rick Warren, whose theology I don't hold, but is a genius organizationally at building strong spiritual communities. He says that people tend to be down on what they're not up on. We want you to stay absolutely up on, up to date with all the things that we're doing here, and that's what the meeting on the 10th is for. So just real quickly, I'll say this. We are growing. We can see it. We can feel it. Between last spring... In the fall, our attendance was up on Sunday mornings about 15 to 20 percent, and judging just by today, even on a holiday weekend, when I know a bunch of people are out of town, we're about to bulge up another 15 to 20 percent, too, as well. It's a really amazing thing. I have to tell you from the bottom of my heart, not a lot of Unitarian Universalist congregations grow as we are growing. We all know it's not about the numbers. It is not about the numbers, and some of you may even be thinking to yourself, wow, great, we're growing. Is that a good thing? Is that a good thing? Because none of us come to any kind of religious community to be just a number, to get lost in the crowd. And actually, the choice these days in spiritual community is really not anymore between big and small. The choice is between impersonal and intimate. Really, really healthy religious communities of all stripes and all varieties are doing this simultaneously, growing larger and growing smaller. Intimacy. And actually, that's intimacy with all of life that we're talking about here, even the things that happen unexpectedly. That's what we're about, and that's the reason that we will continue to grow here at Wellsprings. It's written right into our DNA that we put a premium on small groups, on the springboards that you heard me announce earlier today, because really those are the place where the connections happen. I will raise my hand and cop to it. I am only a situational extrovert. I do this in front of a large group of people, and then I want to go home and be alone. For me, coffee hour is not the most comfortable place, and even if you are the most extroverted person, I wouldn't imagine it's the most comfortable place for you either. It's good to you know, spend time with each other, but springboards are really where the connections happen, where the connections between us are made real, and so I want to encourage you again to take a look. And we are growing because we are connecting. But I want to take even a further step back from that today. See, because birthdays, like all rites of passages, are opportunities to know that we are moving meaningfully through time, to check back from where we came and look ahead to where we are going. And I went back this week, and as I was preparing for this message, and I read one of the first things that absolutely fired my imagination 
spiritually. It's by Abraham Maslow. A bunch of you, you know, you know that name, Abraham Maslow, the sort of great humanistic psychologist of last time, mid-century. And he wrote a wonderful book, wonderful brief little book, not even a hundred pages. It's called Religions, Values, and Peak Experiences. Religions, Values, and Peak Experiences. And the reason that it fired my imagination so much is because here, for the first time, was someone writing absolutely what I thought I believed, what I knew I believed about spiritual community, about what church and congregation could be. See, because what Maslow did is he took away all of the stuff that religions had been talking about only in the mythical way, subscribing it only to the God that's up there, controlling everything. And he said, really what all of those prophets and seers and the great religious traditions have been talking about, it is a natural capacity for peak experience. Self-actualizing, he also called it. That is something within all of us. And that is what religion is about. And over 20 years ago, I looked at my little notes that I had made. I'd put a little smiley face, an exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, next to what he was writing. This is what he said. Any religion, liberal or orthodox, must not only be intellectually credible and morally worthy of respect, but it must also be deeply emotionally satisfying. And I include here, he concludes, the transcendent emotions as well. See, he was a fan of Unitarianism and Universalism, but he wanted to push us a little bit. He was a friendly critic. He's talking about those transcendent emotions of joy and ecstasy and peace and belonging, things we can't just quite think ourselves into. And then I drew a little unhappy face in the margin. Because what he went on to say is that liberal religion, at least of his time in the 60s, that we remain small, smaller than we should be because we had a picture of humanity he said that was lopsided. Too much thought, not enough heart. A lopsided picture. And part of what we're doing here at Wellsprings is to bring ourselves, our gut, our heart, our mind into alignment and honoring all of those things. And I have to say that I unfortunately heard a voice of this kind of lopsided picture of humanity just in this past week. And I don't want to judge it because it's not in this situation, the right thing to judge it, but I want to share it with you. There was an awful tragedy at our Clearwater Church, a murder, suicide. It was really a god-awful kind of thing of members of the congregation, a man who was clearly broken and uh, did not know how to be broken, lashed out at his family, took their lives, and took his own. And in one of the interviews with some of the people who were attending the memorial service for the children, I mean, just truly a, a horrific situation, and this is what the man said, and I don't want to judge it, but I want to listen to it. He said, I don't understand how someone so well-educated could do this. Now, that confuses the amount of knowledge you have with the amount of wisdom your life contains. And they are not the same thing. I know plenty, plenty of really, really smart people who are really, really broken people. There is a difference between what our minds can take in intellectually and what our lives are able to share. And not long after reading Maslow, I read a Unitarian Universalist who really got it. This is Scotty McLennan. Some of you might know that name. He's now the head chaplain at Stanford University and wrote a great book called Finding Your Religion. And incidentally, for those of you who are Doonesbury fans, Remember Doonesbury? I think it's still around. I don't read it very much anymore, but I used to love it. He is the exact model for the Reverend Scott Sloan the sort of peacenik, hippie kind of pastor who was alongside all the folks in, uh, what was it, uh, Walden or something like that. He writes this. 
Faith is the opposite of nihilism and despair. Faith is much larger than any particular belief. Faith is the ability to experience the universe, your universe, as meaningful, not as absurd. Therefore, your religion is something you not only think about, but also sing and dance and eat and pray and paint and sculpt your way to. To find your religion, you must engage all of your senses. It's the same thing that Toni Morrison wrote about in her great book, Beloved, through the words of Baby Suggs, the freed slave who became a pastor. She put it even more directly, broke it down even more. You have flesh that needs to be loved. You have feet that need to rest and also to dance. Backs that need support. Shoulders that need arms. Strong arms, I am telling you. Hear me now. Hear me now. Love your heart. Love your heart. For this is the prize. This is the prize. This is what it's all about. Together, we're building this kind of spiritual community, what Walt Whitwin called singing the body electric. That's what we're doing here. It's a mature and hopeful kind of spirituality focused on cultivating the wisdom and the gifts that our lives contain and absolutely comfortable at the same time, not to, without humility, claim to know things that we do not. Engages the whole life of who we are. This is all we ask at Wellsprings. Engage with the depth of your soul. Engage with the depth of your life. And what you will find there, yes, will set you free. And it will set other people free as well, too. See, the hungers that Wellsprings is created to feed are hungers that I hear all the time out there. I hear them and see them on message boards. I hear them and I see them when I meet with people who are interested about what we're doing. They sound like this. I'm spiritual, but not religious. But you know what? I'm a little tired a feeling I have to do this all on my own. I'm looking for a people that maybe I could belong to. I believe in a higher power. I pray, I meditate, but it seems that so many churches, so many religious communities are just interested in their own power. Trying to be authentic with that, trying to be not the kind of community that's just all about us. And also we're the kind of community that we hope can meet that fear and it's a justifiable one, not that you will have to drink the Kool-Aid when you come here. I hear people say it in one form or another, especially after this past week. If I go to one of your worship services, I don't have to end up as crazy as Tom Cruise is, do I? (laughs) How many of you have seen that video? Gawker.com. Oh, boy. (laughs) No, you don't have to drink the Kool-Aid here. We invite you to take a look at what's in the cup before you drink it down. But we do invite you, once you've made that choice to drink it in, to drink deeply and be filled, be together here. To the Wellsprings, what we're called to do, stepping back on this day of our first birthday, is to take the religious conversation, to take the conversation about true spirituality to a different place. I believe a higher place, the place where really, as Lincoln put it, the better angels of our nature can soar. And we can, it's the same way that this message series go, really find our wings, find the place where our spirits fly. And so our spirituality does not spend a lot of time here concentrating on what it's not. We define who we are positively, not defining ourselves in the negative. This is a good tool, and it's a good thing for me to remember, because this past week, 
I really, really, really had to recall the kind of spirit that we're generating here because I was stuck in traffic in back of a car that had these words on the bumper sticker, try Jesus. Now, got no problem with that, try Jesus. You know, she's just trying to be helpful who this driver was. And Now, personally, I'm not going to base my vote in the presidential campaign upon what I see on someone else's bumper sticker, so I'm certainly not going to choose a Messiah that way. But then, underneath, try Jesus. It said, it's okay if you don't like him. The devil will always take you back. <laughs> now, it's real easy for me to sort of, you know, like angry's the blood up, so immature, dogmatism, rah, fundamentalism, rah, 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 the voices start. But that skeptical response really does not do me any good. And it only adds to the immaturity within our religious conversation within our world. It is best not to react to those who are spiritually and religiously brittle and immature with our own breaking points. We believe we can make a better conversation. There is a lot of bitter narrowness in how we speak about religion in our lives at this time. We have the predictable sparring partners. You got over in this corner... On the right, you got the Christian Coalition, Ralph Reed kinds of folks speaking up for dogmatism. And on this side, you got the militant atheists, the folks, you know, Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchin, and religion poisons everything. And man, they make for a great kind of talk show fodder when you get the two of them together, these two sort of warring opposing camps, and they produce a lot of best-selling books. I wish that I could be as angry as some of these people are, simply because I could produce something that might sell millions. We seem to be attracted to people who only know how to disagree in the most disagreeable fashion, even if at times some of what they say is right. But there is so much heat generated, but not much light in our national conversation on spirituality and religion. And we need light if we're going to walk and grow into our path. See, one side threatens all of us, us non-believers, our heretics. And I love that we come from a heretical tradition. The Greek heresis means simply this, to choose. We are a people of faith who makes choices. Not all the choices are made for us. And I was having one of these conversations out in the public, and I've told a few of this before this past summer when I was representing Wellsprings. And there was a woman who came up, and the conversation started friendly enough, and she was talking about her faith community, and I started to describe what we're doing here at Wellsprings. And eventually it became very clear that we were on pretty divergent paths. And we talked for a while. It was respectful. And after a while, she just sort of got very annoyed, face sort of got a grouchy sort of look on it. She said, well, when the rapture comes, you'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Not much answer to that one, is there? <laughs> Thanks for talking with me. And on the other side, there's those folks who have such a narrow understanding of spirituality that they think only the folks like that woman represent what religion really is. I think that's kind of like being pushed off a five-story building and saying that after that, you don't even need ever to get on an airplane because you already know what it's like to fly. That's not supernaturalism, dogmatism. That doesn't even come close to exhausting what real spirituality can be. I don't know about you, but I am tired of those arguments. They do not help me grow. And I yearn to say goodbye to all of that and I know that there are better ways for us to spend our days. So instead of that argument over supernaturalism, which is just about who gets the loudest or angriest yes or no, at Wellsprings we invite a different conversation. We make a different invitation here. We say, let's have a conversation about the vast, wonderful varieties of awakening in this life. 
Not an argument over religion, but an invitation into conversation. And also, let's not, not just talk about it, but let's do it. Let us not talk just about approaches to awakening, but let us learn to awaken here all together. Now, this conversation isn't just more fun, I believe it is, and more productive, I believe it is, but finally, it's a more accurate picture of reality. It's part of what some of the newer sciences are revealing to us. The School of Neurotheology, which actually started right over here at UPenn, shows us that our brains, our very brains, the things that constitute and hold our consciousness, that our brains are hardwired for deep spiritual experience. I shared some of this with you before, that the brains, the brain scans at least, of monks, of Tibetan monks at the deepest part of their meditative practice, and Benedictine nuns at the deepest part of their practice. You know what? The words or the absence of words may be different, but the brain scans are the same. And that part of ourselves that reaches towards peace is fully engaged in both of those traditions in that spiritual practice. We know that the happiness psychologists also started here at UPenn. They tell us now what all the world traditions at their best, not at their worst, have been saying for centuries and millennia. That goodness and compassion and forgiveness, that these increase our chances to live a perhaps even longer a life with moral longevity. Isn't that a good promise to hear? But certainly what it will make you have in your life is greater satisfaction, greater sense of well-being. All these traditional virtues are not just good. They are good for us. This is an accurate, accurate picture of what life is. You don't have to accept any dogma to understand that this is how we are built. To me, that's where the really interesting conversation is these days. It's no longer about the old arguments. And Maslow was right. Thinking about it will not get us there alone. It is a matter of connecting the thoughts with the emotions, with the feelings, with the spirits, until we become whole people. That's why one of our core values here at Wellsprings is about spiritual practice, because in spiritual practice, on the meditation mats, or doing yoga, or prayer, it is no longer about just concepts. It is the realm in which spirituality really starts to change your life because it was something that you do day after day after day after day. And it brings out that natural goodness within all of us. And I think one of the great things about this year at Wellsprings is that we are working from our strengths. We are not working from a place of being defensive. It always irks me a little bit. It makes me feel a little sad even more when I meet liberal religious people and they define themselves first by what they are not. We are here because we are not... <clears throat> Fill in the blank, whatever dogma you choose. A healthy identity can never be stated in the negative. And the thing is, actually, when we grow from our strengths, when we grow from practice, we find out that more people believe, as we might, than we think already do. Our conversation is actually at the center of people's lives. There was an amazing 2005 poll. Beliefnet.com did it along with Newsweek magazine. And they asked a number of people from all traditions, but specifically focused on the evangelical community, the evangelical Christian community, which I have to tell you, I've been to a lot of their services over the years. I always look for best practices in church wherever I can find it, even if I disagree. And I have heard all the time, over and over and over again, from those pulpits, sometimes told with anger, sometimes told with love, but always this message, Jesus is the only way to salvation. Jesus is the only way to salvation. Well, this poll revealed something really fascinating. 70% of self-professed evangelical Christians don't believe it. 70%. And they hear it week after week after week. 
The question was this. Yes, it's a little supernatural, and it may not be the way that I'd express it, but it's this. Do you believe a good person who's not of your own faith can get into heaven? 70% of self-professed evangelical Christians believe that. What they're showing us is that the conversation is moving. Our national dialogue, our spiritual dialogue about what really counts in life is not what it used to be, which is do you believe the right thing or don't you? That's the target message out there. But really what people are finding in their hearts is something different. It's a matter of the relationships. It's a matter of knowing, can I trust this place and this people to be with me? When congregations make those promises, then congregations fulfill their promise. Over 150 years ago, Thoreau heard this kind of argument and put it right into his journals. You see, Thoreau was, and even in his time after he left Unitarianism, then sort of came back toward the end of his life. He was one of those Western folks who really discovered the beauty of the Buddhist tradition. And it got him in a little bit of trouble. Actually got him in trouble with the family of a woman who he was dating. Called sort of an inter-religious dating squabble. But Thoreau, of course, being Thoreau, put this into some wonderful language. And he put this in his personal journals. I know that some will have hard thoughts of me when they hear their Christ named beside my Buddha. Yet I am sure that I am willing that they should love their Christ even more than I love my Buddha. For love is the main thing. And besides, I like Jesus as well. Classic Thoreau. A heart big enough to encompass what other people had divided within and between themselves. Classic Thoreau, always, always wanting to know what was that deeper vision that animated all true spirituality. Over 150 years ago, there's a reason he's still one of our greatest prophets in our movement, and we reach back to him here at Wellsprings over and over and over again. He said the main thing is not dogma. The main thing is not who you say your favorite teacher is. The main thing to lead from is the devotion within yourself. Love is the main thing. It's one of the reasons, and I think I really just got it this past week when I was reading and preparing, why my favorite theologian, at least of the 20th century, Paul Tillich, he wanted to do away with all those idolatrous understandings of God. God is a man, God is a person, God up there in the cloud with a white beard, giving you all the divine favors if only you said the right words in prayer. Tillich absolutely redefined God, and as a verb, no less, not as a noun. Define God as ultimate concern. Now, I used to ask people to read Tillich in our Listening to Our Lives class, and it's the only time people said no. (laughs) Tillich was a German theologian, existentialist, radical Christian. The sentences go on sometimes for about a page and a half. Too many parenthetical comments. But here's Tillich stripped down to his best, saying God is not ultimate concept. God is not ultimate idea. When we realize that which is of, as the Quakers say, God within ourselves, we reach the state of ultimate concern. Concern which is always expressed as a verb. Concern which really I recognize Tillich in his Germanese, in his philosophical speak, really what he was saying ultimate love, in the act of being most concerned about our lives and the lives of others, we realize what is ultimate in this life. That is a saving message. And it is also an ancient message too. 
that love is what draws us out towards each other and love is what draws us in to the depth and the reality and the suffering and the beauty of each of our own lives because then we know when we know ourselves we are able to share with a world that very often is hurting a full self, not just a partial person. This is an ancient call that we are articulating in some new ways here at Wellsprings. And from one of my favorite movies this past summer, Ratatouille, loved preaching on it. One of the final quotes from the movie was, the new needs friends. New things need friends. New things are vulnerable if they are going to grow. And this is not right now a JFK-like approach in which I'm going to say, ask not what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. I wouldn't put it that way because that's too oppositional. I believe it can be one and the same thing. And so all I'd ask of you, if you really want to celebrate Wellspring's birthday here with me today, is this. Follow the words of Howard Thurman, who is one of Dr. King's great theological inspirations. He said, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because finally, what the world needs is people who have come alive. What the world needs is people who have come alive. Not fundamentally what specific gifts and talents you have or what expertise you possess, but fundamentally what the world needs is your awakening. Because awake people, well, they tend to open up the other people around them. So if you want to celebrate Wellspring's birthday here with me today, awaken or start awakening. Cultivate your gifts. Enlarge your spirits. And do this in the presence, do this in the presence and with the help of others who are also growing. And then, when the harvest time comes, when the time comes to share, share. So my favorite current theologian says, John Spong, I love this term, love wastefully. Just give it away. Just give it away. Because we are who we are at our best because of others and through others, and with the life of community. So share the harvest time, and Wellsprings will grow. And you will grow as well. See, these are the kinds of relationships that Wellsprings is absolutely dedicated to building and continuing to build. And these are the kinds of relationships that together, out of which we will create our future, as it is being done right now. So amen. Happy birthday, Wellsprings, and may you always live in blessing.